Hello and welcome to the So Toxapod episode 20 of season two. Um, I'm glad I managed to say that on my own this time because we actually discussed it, meaning something was part of the script. <laughs> I know, it was really weird. I thought because the last few times we always interjected into each other's sentences when we did the intro. So I thought, okay, let's bring it up. And then, God, so much structure, I can't handle it. It's weird. We should definitely go back to the chaotic event. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the main pattern we have in our podcast. I do like it being a bit chaotic, you know? Well, let me start off this episode by opening a new big bottle of beer that I have. Oh, nice. From my weekend. Uh, We actually went to the Netherlands today, as it's Sunday at the time of recording this. And stores are open there, as opposed to Germany. Uh, So we had some time in Ikea. And uh, then went to action for whatever reason. But, oh, action. Which was, which was very disappointing, though. <laughs> like less cool Ikea. Wow. <laughs> Cheaper. <laughs> um, so we were parked in a jumbo parking lot, and I couldn't resist running in and finding a La Trappe double. So oh, that, that should be good. I am excited about it. I do like La Trappe. I think Mind they, you, I was mostly interested in what the prices were for the big bottles because I had recently asked you to, mm-hmm. and uh, it was about the same as in Germany. So wasn't too bad, eh? Yeah, they're like under five bucks. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. How was your weekend, Toby? <laughs> oh, dude, my weekend was great. Um, I had a lot of fun. I went to, um, I mean, a couple of friends. We uh, rented a house in Belgium and uh, just spent two nights there. I say a couple. Uh, we were we ended up being quite a few people. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you might hear my voice that I've had a <laughs> I've had an eventful weekend. Um, no, it was good, man. Honestly, just to just to be around, um, just to be around a few more people, you know, and and having a place. It was kind of middle of nowhere, uh, but kind of having a place to ourselves and around ourselves. It was really nice. Um, uh we it was really cool so we thought it was going to be like one big kind of villa like thing but it turned out to be two small well two large but smaller ish houses that were just conjoined together so i nice. guess they I, and, and the land uh, the landlords um when they introduced themselves to us they were like yeah so are you are you here with a bunch of kids and we're like no ah, okay well we're used to like having two families that go on holiday together and they come and one stays in the one house and one stays in the other and we're like yeah that's not us we're a bunch of like uh students or ex-students just looking to get wrecked dude <laughs> <laughs> that's of course what you said and we we pull up we pull up with four cars and you know the land the landlords introduced themselves to have, and little did they know that our cars were almost exclusively filled with booze it was just great man your cars are probably suspiciously low on the highway because they were yeah. packed with people and then also beer so you could only see yeah. half the tires <laughs> yeah my friend, my friend, uh, Mornix, my friend Mornix has this estate car, right? So his trunk is actually quite large. And it's just so fucking, it was just filled with crates of beer, man. And the the, the beer in, in Belgium, the Caratils that we drank is, is actually quite cheap. So you, you spend about like, I don't know, seven bucks max for a crate of beer, uh, including uh, funds, including Stadtichold, you know, so it's like 450 for a crate of beer. It's just absolutely fucking filled with that. It sounds like a good weekend, but one that you might need another weekend from to recover. Yeah, it honestly, I don't think I need to recover too much. But we were talking just before, just before the episode started, and I said, I've, I've just been, I, I came home like an hour and a half ago, uh, around five or so at this point, um, and I sat down and I just, I just, it, I let it settle in. You know, <laughs> I just couldn't really move because I was just letting all this sort of stuff wash over me again. And I realized, like, fucking hell, I, I did a lot of shit this weekend. Like, I experienced a lot of stuff. It was really nice. That's that must be especially challenging in the COVID times where you're not yeah, used exactly. to experience. Like, you experience a lot less on a daily basis. So when you experience something that's like normal or yeah. used to be quite normal, is now quite. Uh, uses a lot of processing power shall we say yeah but on the uh, terms of alcohol consumption or getting wrecked um i officially had my last day of my current job on friday so 
come next next week, I will be starting my new position, which is really fun. So that was a nice reason. My mom also got a, a, a new title at work. So we were um, in a mood to celebrate, say. So on the way home, I stopped by and bought like a bunch of these like tiny champagne glasses or, or bottles mm -hmm. that are that look like small imitations of them. And we just had a big tasting and uh, ended up getting quite drunk on champagne, which I haven't done in a really long time because it's really expensive. But that really caused a hangover. It really carried through <laughs> yeah. a lot of Saturday. It was just, oh, like the bubbles. I don't know. It was a different level. Yeah. Yeah. Often, often these kind of like sparkling wines or white wines uh, can hit you a bit different than when you're used to having, uh, you know, drinking a bunch of beer. Yeah, uh, I had we had a bunch of uh, white wine and rosé uh, because we went on a wine hike uh, yesterday and, and that kind of felt the same. You know? <laughs> it's just a different medium that you're using. Yeah, well, it, it was really tough, especially because we had tennis training at 11. So at like ah, okay. 10, I was like, oh, God, shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. it worked out all right. Um, And yeah, the rest of the weekend was pretty relaxing. But uh, what I actually did also do on the weekend, and it kind of is a good segue to what we kind of talked about talking about today, um, or kind of previously what, planned, what I guess. What we kind of talked about talking about today. Yeah, it, I think was that's rumored good... that, it was rumored that we would discuss what we might talk about in detail, what, if we maybe talk about it when, why. Perhaps, perhaps indeed. In, indubitably. So I finished the second audiobook of Harry Potter. I've just started re-listening to all the audiobooks, and then I finished the second one. Shocking final two chapters. Amazing. Didn't see that coming. And uh, yeah, now I'm starting on the third one. And that's kind of what we wanted to discuss today as a few of our favorite, or not favorite, but like kind of when you go through YouTube or generally Reddit or whatever is on the internet, um, there's a lot of fan fiction around Harry Potter and that whole universe. Mm -hmm. And what would be some, you know, we don't need to explain the storyline on this thing. Everybody kind of knows it or just read the fucking books. If you haven't, in fact, if you haven't read the books, turn this podcast off and use the Listen, time. Dude, to just, if you're listening books. to this, and you haven't listened to Harry Potter or read Harry Potter, or anything, uh, go on YouTube and Google or, and look up uh, Harry Potter in 99 seconds. And that's all you need. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the full knowledge you need, you need the in-depth knowledge. It's important. No, you're fine. <laughs> In any case. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of theories out there and I thought it'd be cool if we talked about a few of them, but before getting to that, um, having re-listened to them and recently rewatched all the movies, one of the funniest things about this whole universe is that in the end, it depends on two people and one of them has to die for the other to live, right? And at the end of the day, Voldemort has withheld and stopped all of his followers from attempting to kill Harry because he thinks he's the only one that can, although he's the only one that can't because of yeah. that old protection, which is the biggest irony. And it's such a small, it's not, it doesn't seem like a big thing. It just almost seems like a plot convenience kind of thing. <laughs> That's like the only thing, because you'd expect Voldemort dies basically after trying to kill him and he has so many followers that see that that's the reason wouldn't you expect all of those followers to be trying to finish his work in some way and like avenge him and it just doesn't happen well and that's I that's mean, to me is just I, i don't know it's it's kind of sad to see that it's such really? a small thing yeah oh no come on dude i i thought that was a great part because voldemort's whole thing is superiority right voldemort because he can't love because he can't He doesn't have empathy. Um, he's incapable of considering the fact that anyone might be as great or as good as he is. So, of course, he built his, his entire fellowship on people who believe that as well. And he indoctrinates them to believe this as well. No one can be as good as Voldemort. And then Voldemort fucking dies. And these people, you know, you have the, you have the false believers who are there for the power who go, oh, okay, this is over. I'm out of here. And then the true believers who truly believed into Voldemort, in Voldemort's uh, supremacy, they'd be the ones that go, my world has just been rocked. This unbeatable monster that, that I dedicated my life to has been beaten. No, I, it, I think it makes full sense that they, that they don't interfere. Yeah, but I guess hindsight is 2020, to, to be fair. 
and it is great. And to, honestly, this is not something that I've thought after the first time of, or the second or even fourth time of reading the books mm-hmm. or going through the movies. It's only something that's come over numerous times of watching and considering it. Um, but it, it in the end shows that character's greatest flaw, which is the point of it. And that's really important to kind of also decipher good from bad. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's just been really fun getting back into the books and just yeah. watching all these YouTube videos of potential theories. And you, I've even started taking an occasional Pottermore quiz uh, just on general knowledge. Turns out I'm pretty good, actually. Um, I mean, you have just rewatched the, have just rewatched the, or re-listened to the audiobooks, fun, yeah, rewatched the movies. Fun fact, though, the uh, Pottermore quizzes are mostly on the books and not on the movies. Yeah. Because um, well, the books and the movies are have slightly different canon as well. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. And they like the movies. I mean, they miss out on. They get the main story. And to be fair, it's tough to put. Harry Potter was more written for a TV series, in my opinion, uh, because you need you need so much more screen time to explain mm. the full story with all the details. So they really missed out on a lot of detailed stuff. Well, I do think the the movies do a good job. It's just the the job to the perfect job was impossible for them to attain, right? And oh, absolutely. So with, with what they could have done, I think they did quite a good job. For sure. More for often sure. than not. Like one thing that would have been cool in the first movie, but I guess the first movie had so much other stuff to explain would uh, be that they scratched, I think, three or four challenges um, of that final like Sorcerer's Stone, how to get there kind of thing. And in the book, it kind of almost foreshadows what's to come in the next like six books essentially Mm -hmm. that would have been cool to see because there was a lot of other stuff that goes on where you can make all kinds of other relations and it's great for um also character insight from an audience perspective uh but again you only have limited amount of time and limited budget too because they weren't a hit back then oh that was (laughs) i thought there was going to be more on your end there um yeah look um, I like I've I've read the books uh, in multiple languages over many years, and um, there are certain things that that are just not gonna you're not gonna be able to experience in any other way than reading them. But I think with all the media that we have out there, it's very possible to enjoy a full Harry Potter experience without necessarily having to read all the books in the original uh, language as they might have been intended one day. You know. Well, so what was your experience like? Because did you read the books before you watched the movies? So I actually, um, because I, as a kid, which which is funny, uh, considering how much I used to read as a as a youth and then uh, as a young adult, um, but I actually didn't really like reading as a kid. Um, it took me a long time to start reading. So um, my dad actually read me the first three Harry Potter books. Um, it was kind of our thing. Oh, cool. He would read them. To, he would read them to me as a kid. Um, and then I would get the um, the audiobooks um, from the local uh, children's library. I forgot uh, it's this. The German audiobook voice is a very um, is a very well known one. Um, the Hörspiel by Rufus uh, Beck, I think. Rufus Beck, thank you. Yeah. And then I'd be really into that. Um, and then uh, from there, I'd I'd get really into the movies. And it actually took me a really long time to read uh, five, six, and seven. Um, because then I sort of had a break with reading until I got until I was a bit older, until I was in fifth grade, I'd, I'd say, which is when I started uh, when I my parents got me two fantasy books for my birthday, um, the Chronicles of Aralun. I only know it in German, and um, uh, the um, the Shadow Dancer Chronicles. I have no clue what they are called in English, and then they kickstarted me reading, and that's when I went back and got Harry Potter. And the first time I read book seven, I hated it. The first book I read, the first time I read the seventh book, I read it, Hedwig died. I was like, fuck this. And then Dobby <laughs> died. And I put the book down and never finished it until years later. That's I was actually, so spiteful. That's, that's a good fan reaction, though. It means you were very heavily invested in it. I loved Hedwig. I had a Hedwig plushie. And when I read Hedwig dying, I ran into I ran to my mom and I cried like a little baby. <laughs> you know, I, I you know I, I don't know how old I was exactly, but you Doesn't know, I matter, was man. I was young and I was young, but a bit older than a child. You know, and she goes, "Oh, don't worry, don't worry." And she gets me the plushie and goes, "Look, Hedwig's alive." Hedwig's alive. <laughs> <laughs> that hit me hard. Oh, that's because good. Hedwig, Dobby, and and uh, Hagrid were always my favorite characters. 
Um, yeah, yeah, man. Dobby, and had, Dobby had, was had, a gutter. Had um, Hagrid died as well, I think I would have never gotten into Harry Potter again. Wow. That, uh, yeah, it was weird. I remember that too, actually, with the seventh one. What, what my initial question was supposed to lead to is um, how was the imagination kind of side of things between having read them and then expectations going into the movies? Because for me, for years, I couldn't see that the third movie was a good movie just based on the sole fact that I imagined a werewolf to look differently than it did mm. in the movie. It, mm-hmm. it disappointed me to such an extent that everything else about the movie, I completely forgot. It was like, fuck this. Yeah. This sucked. That was terrible. And fuck this movie. Whereas like the fourth one was way more along my imagination and mm-hmm. what I imagined when I read the books. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what's really cool. If you haven't done either, read the books first, in my opinion, because you can mm-hmm. build your own kind of universe around it. It's similar yeah. to Lord of the Rings because there are watch the movies first mm-hmm. and then it was different. Yeah, here, here, here's a fun fact, especially yeah. about book three. When I read, when I was read the books as a child, uh, I wasn't scared of the Dementors, right? And then I watched the third movie, and for the longest time, I was terrified. They're fucking scary. Absolutely yeah. terrified of the way the Dementors looked. That's true. And in in the books, that was never an issue. And then I saw them on the screen, and I was mortified. I I was scared of, I was scared of two things as a kid. Um, or well, until then, I was scared of two things. I was scared of fire, um, and I was scared of um, volcanoes. Arguably, yeah. also fire-related. Anyways, and then the Dementors came on screen, and I was like, "Oh well, I guess it's three things now." That was one thing that really excelled my imagination, or like it was stuck to that. Whenever I didn't listen to the audiobooks at night in bed, and like a Dementor came across it, and I was like mm-hmm. under my blankets, hoping that they wouldn't get me. It was yeah. it was <laughs> to that point. Um, with all that being said about reading movies before uh, reading books before watching the movies, I would really like to watch the Harry Potter books without uh, what movies without having read the books beforehand. Mm. I, I would like to have that perspective and not the knowledge of what's to come and uh, yeah. how it's going to end. I think it would yeah. be really interesting and to see if I might pick on it to pick, pick up differently because the seventh movies were both really good. And I really enjoyed them from the get-go. But I agree with you when I read the seventh book. I was first kind of disappointed because it was a new environment. It was not the same Hogwarts. There's some big disaster and they kind of, you know, mm-hmm. do something. Uh, so that was that was a bit odd. But on further reading, the seventh book is awesome. Yeah. I really like it. And then yeah. Hedwig dies, which makes it like a really serious book. Um, yeah. yeah, so really good books but so with you you watched all the movies before you then read the books basically apart from the first no three, i read maybe. all the books i've read all the books slash audiobooks up until four and uh then always after reading the book watch the movie and then five six and seven i watched the movies before i read no actually no i watched the book i watched who i watched all the movies after reading the books except for seven where i read like half the book and then watched the movie first interesting that's like a consistent switch behind where you get your main information from. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess you weren't that invested at that moment in time. Yeah. And I don't actually, I don't know if I read six before what I think I watched the sixth movie before reading the sixth book as well. Then that must have been enlightening to see that there's so much more that happens yeah. after Dumbledore dies. There's yeah. like a whole f- battle of Hogwarts and then it just gets missed in the movie. That's one of the really interesting things is. Um, six is probably my least favorite movie, but my favorite book. Yeah, I would. Oh my god, that's such a. I fully agree with that. I f- yeah. because there's they, they show half an adventure yeah. that Dumbledore and Harry do, and none of the proper sessions really. Yeah, there's so much more to it. But yeah. again, that one you could have broken down into a whole season of like twenty-four uh, hour-long episodes. Yeah. So. I hope they do that, by the way. A Harry Potter show? Yeah, completely recast and do like a long ass series, Game of Thrones type thing. Yeah. They would get the money, people would watch it, and uh, you could tell way more details of the story. And it wouldn't always, it wouldn't be compared to the uh, films because it's a different industry, I guess, in that sense. I wouldn't want it to refeature the same story, though. I think the Harry Potter universe has tremendous potential. But the story about Harry, Ron, and Hermione and their adventure is told, you know, it's, 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 and it's such a well-known story. I don't think a show would give it a new spin. 
maybe you could alter that. I agree. The main characters are developed and that was done well on screen. Um, but the story around the characters is not told completely. I mean, true. Maybe you could tell the same but, story from a different perspective, different characters. Yeah, but you, you can't tell the story around the story, so to speak, without having Ron and Hermione in the focus. That's fair. That's what I really love about the um, Magical Beasts. Mm, yeah. Uh, I really, let's talk about that for a second. Or Fantastic Beasts, sorry. The first Fantastic Beast movie is probably in my top three of my favorite Harry Potter movies. Because oh, yeah, I, it's awesome. I loved the aspect of Newt Scamander. I love Newt Scamander as a character when he's just like messing with his animals. Yep. That was the coolest aspect. Honestly, everything else and everything other than that part of the movie, I was like, meh. But Newt Scamander and, and his like chase of the animals and his stupid behavior, you know, and him going around going like, oh, well, guess what you're seeing here is actually the most endangered spotted hippogriff <laughs> and what we have to do is perform the suggestive dance to it it's like great it's like yeah okay Grindelwald's a, a maniac and a genocidal bastard and all that yeah yeah but but go back to Newt making a funny dance at that thing yeah and there's more of those to come in the new one <laughs> I hope I hope oh in the trailer they already feature him it's funny yeah, it's it's him and the thing. Niffler man the Niffler stole the show for me in the first uh fantastic oh, piece. Fun. yeah I loved it the whole chase through the bank with the money it was amazing um but yeah uh that is kind of a good segue at that point maybe to our one of the first or one of the theories that we had uh previously mentioned or discussed off camera and uh that is that um Newt Scamander the main guy in the Fantastic Beast series gave Hagrid Aragog when you know Aragog was tiny or the egg or I, I don't know exactly what part that would be but uh or when exactly but Hagrid was supposedly expelled in his third year I believe when he supposedly opened the chamber of secrets uh the first time so that's an interesting thought uh there yeah. what do you think of that um well I think it's one of it I think that's the theory I've accepted as canon um, it doesn't really contradict anything else that was said. It, it would add to to a more interconnected and richer story. Uh, and and most important, it's not important. Most importantly, you know, it's it's not an important change. It's not this doesn't redefine anything. It's it's a fun addition, easy to accept theory. Um, you're missing out on two seconds of fun if you reject it. You know, because all this, you know, I think it's just yeah. It, it, uh, Aragog arrived at Har at Hagrid's. Uh, in the pockets of a traveler, Newt's animal guy travels a bunch. Fun stuff, really nice, you know. And unlike some other theories where you have to generally rethink characters yeah. and and your opinion of them, this is just fun stuff. There's also the thing that the timelines of the two characters match up in this case, and it yeah. it goes beyond just putting them together because they both apparently like magical creatures. They were both expelled from Hogwarts. They both returned as professors. Uh, so there's there's like some parallels there, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, math accordingly, they would be in, at Hogwarts at the same time. Yeah. So there's a there's there's good good uh, good chance that's true. And as you said, I would fully agree with that. So that one's not it. It just connects the two different movie franchises, I guess, which is kind of cool. So that's yeah. why I think that works. Um, yeah, maybe you want to mention the next one that you think is cool or uh, whatever. Uh, I mean, let's let's in, let's go with another one that's easy to accept, um, which is that Neville Longbottom uh, was using the wrong wand. So Neville famously was quite inept, and then began finding himself as the series goes on. Um, and there was a, an inciting moment where Neville's wand is broken um, in book five in the Department of Mysteries, I do believe. Um, and then he gets a new wand and um, the story goes that Neville is using his uh, his father's wand, which I think is also confirmed uh, up until then. Uh, yep. And because the wand chooses the wizard and that wand didn't choose him, uh, he was use it was using or it was a device that represented, you know, his his not moving on his him not being his own person. Um, and there's and also a history there. There's also a history within his character where often they hint on how much pressure the family puts on him to be like his dad, who was an uh, order, which mm -hmm. is like brave position to be in, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's fact. I, I'd never really 
you kind of almost assume it basically because like okay he gets a new one and this one chooses him and there we go mm-hmm. boom 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 um for me another pretty easy theory to accept is um the the basically the whole seventh book deals or it's called the deathly hallows so it also deals mainly with those objects and especially that story which i think the movie did really really well retelling that story in that animated fashion mm-hmm. um and it basically talks about three brothers who use magic to cross a bridge and then death appears and says you cheated you should have died um so for that i'm going to give you three prizes and it's the invisibility cloak the resurrection stone and the elder wand which is more powerful than any other which resemble three wishes of those three brothers that work together to cheat death um so they got these special gifts and it is told that in this Harry Potter story, essentially the way everything is told, um, Dumbledore is death. Voldemort is one of the brothers. Harry is the other and Snape is the third, mm-hmm. um, which is really interesting. And I think it's very fair though, because Snape represents the resurrection stone kind of, you know, his love yeah, the for, wishful thinking never dying. for it. Yeah. yeah. The wishful thinking for it, kind of that thing. Um, Voldemort represents the elder wand and Harry, the invisibility cloak. Mm-hmm. And then what's a nice segue into this, which I, I will give this over to you then uh, at the end of the movies or, and at the end of the story, uh, Ignatius, the invisibility cloak brother, he takes off his invisibility cloak after a joyous life essentially and meets death like a friend. And then he meets uh, Dumbledore when he has met death essentially and uh you know dumbledore is supposedly death in this scenario yeah which i like uh but i'll hand it over to you because i think the way the story is told it's very fair that those characters align i don't know if you would disagree or have anything to add to that no i don't i think and i think in fact it's uh uh they fit beautifully right uh and i think this theory was well all but accepted i don't think uh but by by the author um, I don't think she necessarily uh, planned it as such, but um, it does work out really rather nicely there. Um, and I think a big part of that story and, and what really connects this is this readiness to die, is this readiness to accept your own mortality and your own, um, yeah, the, the, yeah, and accept the fact that at some point, no decision you're going to make is going to stop you from, uh, from finding that final, that final mystery. And uh, we see that with the characters, right? Um, the first brother wants to do it through power, just as Voldemort in his in his mania and his um, thoughts of superiority is looking for nothing but power, is looking to looking to outmuscle death. Um, Snape, or um, the other brother, one is seeming or wanting to capture death and and kind of retell it, uh, change change the fate of death, and then a Snape who for the, his entire period in the book wants nothing more than to kind of rekindle this yeah this dead person um and then harry who makes the final choice to to become a martyr well it's very interesting actually because the way you say it is acceptance of death and um harry accepts death and that relationship that death has with life whereas voldemort doesn't accept his own death and Snape doesn't accept the other people's death, yeah. which is really interesting because it kind of creates a spectrum and how Harry is right in the middle of the two, which, which yeah. I don't know. It's uh, There's a lot of symbolism going on there. And I think um, this really sets up another further theory that actually in the story, one of these characters is truthfully uh, one of these story characters. what going on to another theory dumbledore is actually death not just yeah right no 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 no. so the difference is this theory is just the story and from the telltale signs that's the whole story that was being told throughout but actuality in the whole movies and characters and the way jk rowling meant to write it is that dumbledore actually does not just represent death but is death you know, there's a difference. Wait, that's how you interpreted this? No, I, I fully. There's disagree. two separate theories for this. No, it, I think the theory yeah. was always that Dumbledore. There is no creature that is death. 
Okay, so you disagree with the second part. Yeah, I fully disagree. Okay, okay, good. Because because Harry isn't the first Harry isn't the third brother. None of these characters are a, a retelling of the story. They are uh, the beauty is the symbolism that goes into it, how their own emotion and how their own hubris uh, in Voldemort's case and their own inability to accept uh, to accept uh, death in Snape's sense and how uh, kind of Harry's fighting but ultimate ex- acceptance for the greater good that those are the things that make them the th- uh, make them the three bar- brothers dumbledore was a person not uh, the concept of death made made manifest he represents he represents death in that story and in our story but i don't think he is death i don't think a creature like death would would exist yeah i have trouble believing it too because i'm more of a believer in the theory that harry becomes death and master of right he becomes master of death right and i think he literally becomes that figure Mm -hmm. in sense of having all three hallows as well and dumbledore had all three before as well but he then did pass on so he also accepted death in a way maybe that works um but this works into an interesting other theory and that is this whole story basically played along the lines of that one prophecy Neither can live while the other survives, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And that was Harry or Neville. And well, Harry was essentially got picked by Voldemort for that. And now that the prophecy is over and Harry has won, that prophecy can also be interpreted that Harry is immortal because Voldemort was the only one stopping him from being so. Yeah, I, I know you quite fancy that theory. Um, I must I must say I never did because the, you know just because something <laughs> neither one can live while the other uh, without the other one dying refers to those two it doesn't state that neither can die while the other one lives it doesn't not say it though. just well it doesn't not say that harry's gonna shag voldemort's snake might still come who knows <laughs> i hope it does there's two openings now in that snake um yeah, and you know, I know what you mean with that theory, but I, I just think that'd be quite, I, I just think it'd be a bit too preposterous, you know. Um, the whole idea of, of the story is that it intertwines the fates of these two characters. And the beautiful thing about that prophecy is that it has an end. So there is this destined thing that is going to happen. There's this, this prophecy that will be fulfilled, this destiny that will be, un- or that will become done. And then life goes on right then then either of them are free and i think that's the nice thing about the um about the prophecy that it that it ends after their engagement and that you know after that harry becomes a mortal person or voldemort becomes an immortal maniac also i think i think the the dichotomy of it all with voldemort would it with it being the one thing voldemort wants is immortality I think it'd be a ridicule if Harry then was given it. It'd be funny. Whoever won the prophecy wins immortality. Yeah, but Harry never wanted immortality. Harry, Harry wanted Doesn't peace matter. and love. Yeah, and through it, he got immortality. No, I don't like because that at all. Because that's the only way to get immortality, to accept mortality. Yeah, but the part about accepting mortality, also as the third brother did, is, is that you die. right? You, you can't... Start- you can't ac- you can't accept Im- you can't accept your mortality while immortal yeah that, okay fair you know if 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 accepting mortality would make you immortal then he wouldn't accept mortality fair fair um how about we move to one that i think we've talked about before and uh like also another quick mention and i think we both agreed on this one that we both don't really agree with the relationship of Ginny and Harry and the end that they end up together. And there's a theory that Ginny at some point um, gave Harry a love potion. And basically that's kind of how it's, they ended up coming together. And all of a sudden there was that, I guess, spark. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 my personal opinion is that um, I think uh, Harry and Hermione would have, I, I, shipped harry and hermione yep and after that i shipped harry and luna and then came yep. jenny um and that that's my problem with it i think the the whole love potion thing is interesting 
Never um, with Cho Chang, really? The only no, girlfriend he never had with, beforehand? Never with, never with <laughs> Cho Chang. Uh, no, never with her. She was never characterized enough. I never cared for her or cared about her too much. Just I mean, because, with, it's like, okay, here's this girl Harry fancies, and you know he meets her once or twice, and then she it goes was up. It's important that her name represents her ethnicity. With, uh, <laughs> and then that's a whole nother can <laughs> of worms. So ridiculous. Um, anyway, that's a whole nother can of worms. Um, I think what was important, I think what I cared about most with her was the fact that she was someone Harry could share the grief over Cedric with. I think that was really interesting. Which never came out in the movies that much. Not that much, yeah. But then again, a lot of stuff, very few movies. So, fair. Uh, yeah, so um, you shipped um, Hermione and Harry the most. But um, do you accept that Ginny did a love potion or that it just no, I don't that th- way? I, I think it's an interesting theory. I think it's way too dark. Um, I don't think, I think Ginny is, is a good person. And especially after what happened with her being possessed in the second book, I don't think, listen, giving someone a love potion to make them fall in love with you is rape. Essentially, <laughs> I agree. I think it'd be, I think it'd be way too dark. Um, so I, I think I, I'm more than happy to admit that I think it's a, uh, it's an interesting theory, um, but I just think it's a bit, I, I just can't, and we'll get back to it in a, uh, later with another theory. I just can't imagine that thing taking place in this story, you know, Fair. like I just think Harry and, and Ginny just kind of fell in love at some point. You'd hope so. <laughs> Um, speaking of grueling or horrible or dark, <laughs> there's another fun theory, and uh, this is the segue. <laughs> uh, something that's never really described, while although talked about a lot, is how horcruxes are actually created. They're always mentioned with like some dark evil magic, and oh my god, it's so terrible, the magic that you have to do. Um, and I guess that in fan theory, that has resulted in the thought process of going into the direction of cannibalism is needed to create a horcrux um, because it's just such an evil gross act and that in magic we've seen examples of blood and flesh being able to um, make a individual more powerful It, it may be that you have to consume your dead before creating a horcrux out of it Mm. Yeah, I've seen this before. I think it originated from uh, Rowling once was asked, okay, how do you create a Horcrux, right? Because we know murder is what splits the soul, but then how do you create the Horcrux? And she said, well, she wanted to put it in the book, but the editor was so appalled by it um, that she couldn't, that she wasn't allowed to. So it's a secret. And I think people went to cannibalism from there because it's this disgusting practice that that you'd imagine. Um, I will say with this theory, I think creating Horcrux definitely takes something disgusting. I don't see why it would have to be cannibalism. <laughs> um, uh, I think it's going to be, I think if it's ever revealed, it'll be like something like torturing your own soul. Like you essentially have to like face an aspect of your soul that you just split and torture it into another device. And I think that's what what's so disgusting about it. And maybe with like auto cannibalism that you have to drink your own blood or something while doing it. That could um, be. But I just don't, because I think what this is interpreted as, by at least by me, is like, okay, you kill someone and then you eat them and that's how you create a horcrux. And it's just, so you have to like kill someone and eat them. But if you kill someone in battle, you can't eat them. So you can't create a horcrux. I just think it's a bit iffy. Yeah, I don't think it would purely just involve the eating of a human. <laughs> I think there'd be a lot of other things surrounded by it. Um, but the drinking of one's own blood or, or something along those lines, that could definitely be part of that gruesome theory. Yeah. The reason what you do- and I just started to chuckle is this other thing right here that we'll get to right after your comment that you just started to say. Well, I, well, I want to ask you what you, you think of that, of that Horcrux uh, theory. Of the Horcrux theory? Um, I, well, the reason I stated it as such when introducing it, I said, I think that kind of display of how gory it is that it's never gone into detail just translates into us people thinking it has to involve cannibalism so i don't necessarily believe that's true i just think that's a reflection of what we imagine the most gory thing to be um so i I don't agree or disagree with it personally i I think it could be true but um i think 
saying cannibalism is not good enough to detail how Horcrux is created, as if that's what J.K. Rowling said. So I think she must have gone into some really disgusting stuff. But mm-hmm. then again, these were meant to be like young adult books, right, and kids' books. So there's probably harsher lines where you what what kind of stuff you can write. Yeah. But I just think it's a reflection of our imagination or like general fans, because these are voted on uh, theories, viewership that we're talking about. Um, This one plays 23 with 15,000 votes. So there's 15,000 people that think this is true. I don't know of how many, but plays 23. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I guess that's kind of, yeah, I don't really know if it's true or not. I think it's an interesting thought. It kind of just shows you how ugly horcruxes are. So why did you chuckle? So the reason I chuckled is on place 25, and you chuckled as well, is uh, that apparently Credence Barebone, the obscurus from the Fantastic Beasts movie series, uh, is Voldemort's dad. And um, Tom Riddle was born in December 1926, and Barebone died in December 26. So in the same month that riddle was born um based on the fact that he can play a big role in the series apparently according to jk rowling the thought is that that could somehow have a date connection which jk rowling has liked to do in the past um and somehow be related to maybe somehow be related to him we could extend that thought i don't know about him being the dad but um yeah yeah, the thing is, for me, I mean, it might be. Um, the thing is, I quite, I thought Creedence, I enjoyed Creedence's character in the in the movie so far. This, like, tortured, powerful kid. Um, and I think it's very well portrayed. And knowing how the story of Voldemort's conception goes, I just don't want to see Creedence go through that. I want him to have a happy ending. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Also, he, I, I thought Tom Riddle killed his actual dad. Yeah. And that happened when he was, you know, 15, 16 or something like that. Pretty and, young, yeah. But not um, in the same month he was born. So th- that doesn't make sense to me. Um, yeah. Um, let's talk about the theory you wanted to talk about or the theory why we made this episode. Uh, because we're talking about Horcruxes and we're talking about murder and we're talking about Credence. Oh, okay. Because Credence was or is, uh, I always forget the name. What, what's the thing? He an is? Obscurus. He's an Obscurus. And yes. Another well, person was an Obscurus. Well, yeah. Um, at the end of the second um, Fantastic Beasts movie, it's revealed or by Grindelwald to um, Credence that his actual name is Aurelius Dumbledore and uh, that he's the fourth Dumbledore. Um, remember Dumbledore and Aberforth and Ariana. And Ariana was killed between a fight by Aberforth, Dumbledore, and Grindelwald. And they don't know who killed her. Um, but she was also an Obscurus. And there's a lot of theories about that, too, if she's actually alive or not. Uh, as well as the mother, Kendra. She could be involved in the Fantastic Beast series. But um, essentially, from that Ariana death, the... A one theory that I think is quite interesting that has been disproved so far, but I still think it's really interesting is that Dumbledore created a Horcrux because as stated in the books is that to create a Horcrux, you must split your soul. And I don't think it really matters to the effect of if no, if you know, if you killed someone, but if you possibly could have, and you firmly believe that you did, that is enough to split your soul or that is enough to have that act of murder and um, that is required to create a horcrux. So based off that thought, as phoenixes are always connected to the Dumbledore family, there's a theory that Dumbledore um, made Fox, his personal phoenix, his horcrux. And by extension, because Fox gave uh, a feather or two Voldemort's and or Tom Riddle's and Harry Potter's wand, made two more Horcruxes because these are elements that live on further in other objects. 
and are magically concealed essentially, right? Um, so that's a really interesting theory and they are all destroyed um, eventually because Dumbledore dies or the, so the feathers wouldn't have an effect anymore. I don't, I don't really get the feathers part of it, to be honest, but the fox part, I really understand. And I think that's pretty cool. I don't know what you think about that, but I always thought it was cool that he, because he liked to play around with all kinds of magic and he does not have a perfect past, that that could well be something he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so for me, I, I mean... I Sorry, think- very long run up, I know. No, oh, come on. I think the theory is really fun. I think it's a very interesting take on Dumbledore because for the longest time we see Dumbledore as this like pure benevolent kind character. And then in the in book five, six, and seven, we kind of begin to understand a bit more that he is also a troubled man. And, you know, uh, that for all his kindness and uh, that he shows Harry, uh, there is a side to him that is willing to sacrifice. Um. And I think what I enjoy about this uh, what I, the survey, what I enjoy about this um, theory is the fact that it would mean that Dumbledore is uh, it would give credence uh, it would give yeah he it would show that he is or at least at some point was as broken a character as he can be in his worst senses, um, and I enjoy that. I think the I think the murder of uh, his sister or the death of his sister is definitely capable of splitting his soul. I don't know if he's gone through and created a Horcrux just because I think the act of creating Horcrux is so inhumane um, that it would that someone like Dumbledore would shy away from it. But he might have gotten real fucking close uh, for all I care. Um, it would also I, I listened to a theory on this. Um, it would also explain why he knows so much about um about horcruxes then again i don't think he knows anything that can't be explained by something less terrible let's put it that way um uh, so yeah i think this is this is a really fun theory i think um it would change the way we look at dumbledore which is okay in some theories i think um we don't you know i don't like theories when they go oh you know well perhaps um this and this has always been the case and perhaps this character who was clearly portrayed to have this characteristic has always been different because sometimes people are different well but sometimes people are the way they are clearly characterized in the book um but with dumbledore his grayness was always kind of a, a center stage of his of his personality so i think this would be really interesting the thing with Dumbledore is throughout the books, he's always this like security point for Harry and he's always the like constant basically. And post-mortem, I guess, or post-Dumbledore dying, essentially he learns a lot of like negative stuff about him. And the whole thing is like Dumbledore was good because he was, he, you know, messed up a few times and you really learn about it. And now there's a whole dedicated series to the fact. Um, another big hint from the, from the books that this or that kind of supports this theory is that Dumbledore straight up guesses that Nagini is a um is a horcrux he, he doesn't know but he just goes well um, basically the way he you know horcruxes are usually created for objects but it's very unwise to do it with animals that you know obviously have a lifespan because when the container of the horcrux is broken the the soul is basically free to then travel to the afterlife i guess if you want to say it that way um and the way he was describing yeah he keeps his pet very close and you know that they've they've they're always together and you can kind of translate that whole description onto his relationship with his pet which to be fair most pets are always around (laughs) but uh there's a connection that dumbledore has with his pet that's quite eerie and uh i i think that's it's a point where I'm like, yeah, okay. I, if you want to believe this theory, I think you definitely can, and you have enough <laughs> reason to. Even though J.K. Rowling, I think, has come out and said that she doesn't agree with it. Oh, has she? Oh, that's I, interesting. I think you looked it up once, and it wasn't the case. Huh. Fun. Um, as far as I, I think recall. it'd be pretty cool. Uh, one thing I want to talk about is, um, it's. I think it's been confirmed, but at least it might be. Uh, it might be the case. Um, when Molly kills, um, uh, kills uh, what's her name, Bellatrix Lestrange, um, yeah. it splits her soul. I think I think this has been confirmed by Jake Rowling because it well, was any then killed us, right? Hmm? Any killed us though? No, uh, Molly kills her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, any person that you kill 
it splits, splits your soul. Yeah. The act of but the, but the important thing, the important thing is coming now is um, someone asked, okay, so she just irreparably broken and um, Ronnie came out. No, you can, you can sort of stitch your soul back together if you genuinely repent. And if you, you know, not like, oh, I go to church and I spend two hours repenting. If, if you, you and your own psyche begin to regret and ex begin to regret, but accept and heal from the murder, then you can unsplit your soul, which I always thought was really interesting. And I think it's much more likely that killing or being involved in a sister, sister's death split Dumbledore's soul. And he was very, very close to creating a Horcrux from it. And then he healed and he began to understand mortality. And that's kind of when he maybe became death to go into a theory you enjoy. It, it could be that he created a Horcrux, but then managed to undo it and also stitch himself back together and do like a full circle thing. And that's the process of becoming death in a way. I don't know. It's crazy because it goes from immortality to mortality, which is like the whole basis of motivation in the movie. Now we're putting them together right now. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I also can't wait to see the connection between, because in the trailer, there's a Phoenix with Credence. So uh, for the, yeah, movie, that's the movie, so I'm really curious to see what's going on there. Yeah. I, th I think it'd be cool if it was Fox's dad or mom. Fox is one of Fox's parents. Well, apparently Phoenixes live really, really long in the, yeah. in the universe. And uh, there's a really funny theory that uh, Ollivander owns one Phoenix and has, because he's been made, making one since like 18 something or whatever, like ages, right? Hundreds of years, 17 something. I don't know. But uh, they've always had one family phoenix because phoenixes live so long that mm -hmm. you only need one phoenix for the feathers for your wand because they just live forever, right? They, they rebirth themselves quite recently, mm -hmm. quite frequently. Um, yeah, so that's a really fun theory that I just enjoy thinking about, especially now going back through the books and all the tips and hints you get from Dumbledore yeah. and his upbringing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is this is a stupid theory draco malfoy is a werewolf yeah i never i think it's because voldemort makes his like resident werewolf uh attack draco and like punish him for something so maybe he turned him into a werewolf i think it's quite uh, far-fetched because before the sixth book in that summer the malfoys really got a lot of punishment for a bunch of stuff like the mm -hmm. lucia's was meant to get the prophecy for one um, and then Malfoy essentially gets punished for it by having to kill Dumbledore a near impossible task. Otherwise, he'll get killed. And it could well be possible that in some retrospect, uh, part of his punishment was becoming a werewolf. But I think that's pretty far-fetched, like just out of nowhere, just because there's an association. I, I don't really agree with it. Uh, I think... I think it's similarly to um to the first theory we, th we spoke about. I don't think it would change much um, because we don't see Draco after after the Battle of Hogwarts. We don't know what his life is becoming like, you know, uh, how he struggles and where he struggles. We just know that him and Harry are kind of on good terms, which doesn't exclude him being a werewolf. So I'm not against this theory. We do I'm know just... we do know some stuff post books from J.K. Rowling on one of her big release like stuff. She'll like write stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, we do see him what, 17 years later or 19 years later when they're all at the train station and he's bringing his daughter there. So he's part of society, but their family is so rich that he doesn't have to work. So it's pretty chill, I guess. Maybe he, it doesn't exclude him being a werewolf. Yeah. It certainly has time on his hands, but it's not mentioned, you know. Yeah. Um, if he's a werewolf, I'd be interested if his kid is a werewolf. What, what it went into detail about was the fact that he married uh, a girl who was half blood or something or also pure blood but didn't really vibe with the whole family's pure blood you know mm -hmm. neo-nazism kind of thing <laughs> and uh, that kind of split them a bit further away from the family yeah uh for, which is good for draco i guess good for draco um Oh, this is a fun theory too. Uh, not the one that I'm sharing on my screen right now, but I yeah, think it's basically the one you're sharing on your screen. I hate so completely and utterly. I think it's so dumb. <laughs> Only because of the yeah. Okay, the one Toby's referring to is Ron Weasley is actually Dumbledore, 
because Fuck, of all time, the time travel, travel stuff. I, I hate the time travel stuff. The, the funny thing is it's based on the grounds that um, they both have the same physical description. They're tall, lanky with a long nose. That's like, and auburn hair. And that's yeah. it. <laughs> and I'm like, nah, come on. Uh, no need to spend more time on that. But um, basically throughout the years, there's uh, six different Harry Potter teachers. I get uh, Harry Potter, uh, Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers mm-hmm. that Harry has. And they're all selected by Dumbledore, of course. And all six of them represent um, lessons and important things in life. So uh, things to really focus on. And some of these are obviously not fulfilled because there are interruptions. So specifically in the first and in the uh, fourth one. So those lessons are kind of wrong. So in the first one, we kind of have to, I forget there was, there was a lesson for it, but it doesn't really matter. In the second one, he knows there's a fraud and it kind of teaches Harry to be humble, basically. Like don't just always go egomaniacal and uh, just, keep your mouth shut and just try and perform. That's what's important uh, because Dumbledore obviously knew that Lockhart was a fraud. I, I don't think that's something that's worth debating at all. Uh, in the third movie, we have Remus Lupin who tells him something and teaches him about the mentors and kind of, you know, just good values as a person. Um, in the fourth movie, it's meant to be an or to kind of teach him um, a, a bit of, you know, actual defense against the dark arts. Yeah, that'd be nice from time to time. Turns out to be Voldemort's helper, but, you know, other story. Uh, fifth one, even the good guys, like, don't trust anyone is the message because the ministry infiltrates Hogwarts and Dolores Umbridge is appointed defense against the dark arts teacher and just kind of shows him the, the, pol- the politics of everything, I guess. And in the sixth one, it's Snape, and I'm actually not quite sure what that one is, but th- there's something to it as well. It's a nice, it's a nice theory, and it's well thought out, and I think it does kind of represent it because Dumbledore also knows. And this is something I guess I want to ask you: the Defense Against Dark Arts position is supposedly cursed since the day that Tom Riddle interviewed for the job and didn't get it, but it's actually the reason that Riddle went back to put a Horcrux there and hide it, which was the diadem. Um, did you? Why would it be cursed? How could you curse it? It doesn't I don't make think, sense. I don't think he particularly actually cursed it. I think it's more, it put a shadow over the entire situation. And then coincidence just kept happening. And, you know, let's be real. Voldemort orchestrated quite a few of the things, quite a few of the teachers going wrong, you know? So I think it was also to do with that. I mean, of those seven, you could argue four. Yeah, you could argue four, but actually it would be three. Like Snape, if you want to do if you want to do Snape, you can do four, but technically that's not true. Yeah, I think from that moment onward, there was just someone kind of going against or trying to figure out how to fuck that roll over. Um, yeah, and you know, a changing place is a good way to infiltrate Hogwarts. So I think that's that's as far as that second part of the theory goes. I think the first part of the theory with the teachers representing different things. Um, at different lessons for Harry. I think that's actually quite, that's really quite good. Um, I think that's a really nice aspect of it all. Um, I think that theory kind of loses purchase after book four, because at that point it just becomes too, um, yeah, too, the role becomes too important and too many people start interfering with with it mm-hmm. for Dumbledore to actually be able to push something like that. But until then, uh, books one through four, um, I think are really fun. Well, I think that's why you can give him five, because he could have, decided against something like he could have influenced that more yeah like of all people he could um but at the point where umbridge comes in the ministry is taking way too much of an interest in what's going on in hogwarts which is true but also from the fourth movie on shit is getting like real yeah like yeah, the fourth we spend less movie and less ends on time in move. Like, yeah. And then you have the end of the fifth one where it's like, oh my God. Okay, for a whole year, we've been dicks from the politician side. So yeah. from the sixth movie, we're going to pretend to be better. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, the last one that I wrote down that I think is very funny, and I think I can almost accept it uh, for what it is, personally, is that. Um, this is funny. If you've only watched the movies, 
in the books, there's a poltergeist, not a ghost, but a poltergeist that lives in um, Hogwarts, or should I say poltergeists? But uh, this dude is called Peeves, and he's a natural like chaos maker, essentially. And the funny thing is that poltergeists have a different um, backstory than ghosts do. So poltergeists basically are created in a certain area um, and they, they kind of develop based off of an atmosphere that is represented by multiple people. And um, usually the people that come there as poltergeists form, the former souls that are there, they are being punished in some way. And either they adapt to the terrible ways and continue to get more and more terrible with the atmosphere of the people surrounding them, which is a lot of students, or they develop in the positive direction, being helpful. Um, but in general, these are souls that are in some way being trapped or, or, or whatever. So the theory goes that there's not only Peeves as a poltergeist, but there's also another poltergeist, which has two separate bodies essentially or like ghost bodies um and that is filch and mrs norris and it's those two that always are able to call each other seemingly there's plenty of evidence where like mrs norris is there alone and within like a second or two filch is there as well and it's really weird that they have that kind of they have a very like more than just cat and owner uh relationship um so it's an interesting theory that I really like that somehow there's not just peeves around. And the funny thing is that the two of them are like enemies in the book because it's basically Filch versus Peeves the whole time. And there's this iconic in the audiobooks, it's always Peeves when Filch is like running through the hallways looking for him. Um, so I, I, I really like that theory and I think it's very truthful also with regard to um the relationship he has with his counterpart essentially it just so happens that um filch went into the good direction having to be helpful and not chaos what do you think toby <laughs> it didn't sound like your story was ending yeah i really like this theory um i just think it adds a richness to it um uh, I've always thought I always enjoyed the character of Finch because yes, obviously you know he's he's a playful antagonist at times. You know when he when he finds uh, when he kind of plays the role of of rule keeper in Hogwarts. But if you think about it, you know that Hogwarts is his home as well, and I think I think Finch actually quite quite enjoys Hogwarts with Miss Norris as well, and the kind of life that he's that he's built there. Even if even if he's not the most happy person. Um, I like the idea of, of him being like a rehabilitated poltergeist. In my mind, he, uh, he was always more of a. I never put it to her, but I did some I did some googling just uh, before this episode. Um, but I, in my mind, he was always more like a spirit bound to the place, but in yeah, in in like the way of a guardian um, or like a house spirit. And I looked it up, and I found something called a, a brownie or a bruni, um, which are these uh, household spirits, um, uh, which can be. Uh, troublemakers but they can also be they're usually helpful um and benevolent and i think that would also be funny um or that might also fit because i think uh, maybe we could interpret his his wanting to rule keep um and his wanting to keep you know uh the buffoonery to a minimum uh, could be attributed as like him having that's how he has fun that's how he entertains himself you know if all these kids running around you know they need an antagonist they need someone to you know yeah. slap him on the wrists and uh you know uh, maybe that's his way of pulling a prank and his way of being mischievous as being stopping other people from being mischievous Absolutely. and just playing with his cat. And think about it. Peeves is always someone who's mopping up. They're living in a magical castle where their food is automatically magically lifted through yeah. the table and just appears. Don't tell me that you need a person to like actually clean this stuff. Yeah. You can easily do this magic. Every time you walk into the Weasley's house in the movies, you see pots and pans scrubbing themselves. So don't yeah. give me that. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's no need for him for the chores that he does. And it's not like they could have spells in place that would um, alarm or set off certain things in terms of behavior. Like, mm -hmm. that's all pretty easy to do. So it clearly seems like, I don't know, there's a lot of support for him. And that's where I think it, it differs from just. A different creature but even specifically a poltergeist so i think there's sufficient theory on that 
uh, or yeah. evidence, I guess. I Not just to like downplay of, your your um, other thought. I just like the idea of him being of him, like actually being a mischievous spirit who is having fun by playing a grumpy old man. It's because fair. it's such a funny listen. Go around and you know role play as a as a grumpy old man. It's fucking hilarious, you know. Oh, these darn little kids! I will stop you, uh, my, my my little cat. You know, it's so funny. <laughs> oh no, I have to clean the hallways again. Splashing water everywhere. Um, so maybe a quick one to kind of round it off because I see we are um, on the edge of our time kind of limit. Um, there's a fun theory, basically, that in general, the wizards are in hiding in this wizarding world, and they are trying to keep themselves from the uh, muggles, basically, not to be seen and to keep their world completely private and oblivious to them. Um, and we never really get a deep history lesson, at least as far as I'm aware of, in terms of what's really happened between muggles and wizards in the past. And there's a theory that it could be that the reason that the wizards are in hiding is because they lost to the muggles last time. And um, there's maybe a treaty that came out from that or whatever, or they're scared that it's better to live in peace, which would, in my opinion, honestly warrant a Dumbledore's and Grindelwald's initial thinking a bit more in terms of wanting to take over again. Because you're like, fuck these guys, they took over. We're so powerful. What the fuck? Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what to say to that, but it would be, I, I wouldn't have expected that because I always expected wizards to be a lot more powerful than muggles, mm-hmm. personally, being a muggle. Yeah. Yeah, especially in the early days, you know, when when muggles didn't have automatic weapons and that sort of jazz. Um, I think I think it's uh, definitely possible. Um, there must have been something to cause the divide, and, and conflict is usually usually quite good at that. I don't yeah. think the wizards would, uh, yeah, voluntarily go. Yes, you know what? We're chilling. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we don't need a rule. Um, so pr- something probably happened, uh, probably due to the sheer numbers, right? Um, and maybe even the the other magical races were involved in it. Um, uh, maybe fighting. Yeah, maybe there was a treaty after a large fight, after the eradication of a magical race or something like that, of the unicorns, for example, uh, that it might be better to keep the two worlds separate. Yeah, that could very well be. It'd be interesting to find out more about that. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, well, ladies and gentlemen, I think, I think we've arrived at the end of our favorite thousand theories. Theory, yeah. <laughs> kind okay. of rambled through them. But, oh, dude. That's yeah. I do enjoy Harry Potter. It's an aspect of my childhood. It's always good to revisit. And there, there's very few. Like Only our generation really grew up with these as kids. Um, mm. Which is sad for others because they're going to be hearing about it before. And not just randomly coming upon it, kind of. But uh, hopefully most kids will read the books. Would still be my hopefully uh, mm-hmm. hopeful assessment, which I doubt <laughs> is going to come true. All right. Um, yeah. Anything else to add, Toby? No, that's it on my end, dude. Awesome, man. All right. Well, I think on that bombshell, we should call it a night and... Um, Thank you so much for everyone who's uh, made it to the end of this video. Um, this episode will be live, I hope, tonight. Otherwise, tomorrow. <laughs> Not that that really matters. It will be soon. And, uh, yeah, have a good week. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Cheers, dude.